It was a beautiful night out, a little bit of cloud cover, just enough for the stars and the moon to look even more impressive when the clouds parted. And there we were on her front porch after our night out together. She leaned, I leaned. It was my first real kiss. I mean, there'd been truth or dare and other teenage games before, but this was the first time that she had feelings and I had feelings, and those feelings actually reciprocated. Uh, and, and so we, we kissed, and it was awkward, and it was wonderful, and it was everything uh, a first kiss is. And I, I made my way quickly back to the car, and I was pulling out of her driveway. And I'll never forget, on came Meet Virginia, the nine, late 90s band Train, and their song Meet Virginia came on. And to this day, I remember that song playing because it's... It's synonymous with that memory. I bet you if you think of significant moments in your life, if you think of significant moments in your life, you can tie a song or a band to those moments in your life. I have a number of these in my life. When I was getting ready to graduate from high school, again, graduated in 2001, and the Green Day song, Time of Our Lives, was a huge song at that time, and the record executives were brilliant when they released that. Of course, what better time to release that than when a bunch of 17 and 18-year-olds are all emotional about their lives are never going to be the same again, and here's for the memories, and what a bunch of nostalgia, and they released it at the perfect time, and that song was huge at that time. I remember as I was getting ready to move to Mississippi, Brooklyn and I were engaged at the time, and she had one year left of grad school, and I had to move to Mississippi for a job. And on the drive down to Mississippi, I prayed harder than I ever prayed before for Brooklyn's cat. And if any of you know how I feel about cats, that should just reaffirm how much I love my wife, because I hate cats, and her little cat that had been born in her closet, as in, and she took it as a little kitten. It ran away a week before I was leaving, and so we took all the print out of my printer, printing up posters, if you've seen this cat, helped her post them all over. The cat hadn't come back. I was leaving. We were engaged. It was, it was an emotional time, and I never prayed harder in my life up to that point for anything, and unfortunately, God answered that prayer, and he brought that stupid cat back to Brooklyn. And I got to spend the next eight years of my life after we got married with that dumb cat that I prayed that God would have return and God answered that prayer. But as I was driving down and praying, I was just listening to Ryan Adams' first album and I can hear vividly, oh my sweet Carolina, every, every time I think about that. When Brooklyn and I got engaged and then would go on to get married, I'm a little embarrassed to share this with you, but she picked it. I, our song our song was Love Story by Taylor Swift, and when we got engaged, I had a condo at the time, so I wrote out, Will You Marry Me in Rose Petals, and I had candles, and I, I burnt the song on a CD, that's how old I am, and then I put it in a CD player and hit repeat, so my neighbors in the condo had to listen to Love Story by Taylor Swift for five hours, because I didn't know when we'd be back from dinner in order to ask Brooklyn to marry me, and then on our way home from, on our way home from dinner, we got in a fight, <laughs> 
because Brooklyn's really hard-headed and I'm really easygoing. And so we got in a fight on the way back and then we just stopped at my condo and we wouldn't go inside. And she said, what are you doing? And I said, we're not going inside. She's like, why aren't we going inside? I'm like, we're just not going inside. She's like, well, then take me home. And then I had a choice to make. Do I take her home? I decided not to. Look at us now. But as we opened up the door there, she saw the candles lit and she heard the Taylor Swift. And I, I knew I was moving. So really, I didn't mind leaving candles lit for five hours. Nobody there. The insurance policy was paid up. Nothing was going to happen. But got down, asked her to marry me. And then we played the song again at our wedding. And so anytime I hear that song, I think of that. When I think of the worst job of my life, a situation I was just completely miserable in, I think of Tom Petty's Won't Back Down. When I think of our two boys, I think of Brother by Need to Breathe. There's just a number of moments and situations in my life that I've linked to music and to songs. And I understand I may be more of a music fan than you, but statistics show us that 95% of people like music. So there are 5% of people who like no music, uh, but 95% of people like music. I'd be interested to see how many of those 95% of people we could get to agree on a genre, but that's neither here nor there. 95% of people like some kind of music, and music is just something that God has created that connects with people. And over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at a collection of songs. That's what we're going to be looking at, a collection of songs. And it's actually in the Bible. The book of Psalms in the Old Testament is a collection of songs that were written over the courses of hundreds of years by a number of different authors. The most famous author of these songs is a king named David. He was a king and he was a warrior he grew up as a shepherd. We know, all of, we know a lot of David's conquests. We also know a lot of David's failings and his, his faults. Those are on display for us to see also through Scripture. But we're given a glimpse into his thought process and into the different emotions that he faces in this book. We're given a glimpse into some of the thoughts and the emotions of Moses, the great leader who led the Israelites through the desert for 40 years, led them out of Egypt and through the desert for 40 years. We're given a glimpse into some of his thoughts and his emotions in the book of Psalms. And that's really what, what Psalms is. It's a collection of every human thought and emotion that we can have, from doubt to certainty, from excitement to grief. It's all in there, and it all connects with us. And the great thing about what we're going to be doing over the course of the next few weeks is we're just going to be looking at the lyrics. We don't have the music to any of these songs. So if you're an R&B fan, you can set them to the tune of R&B in your head. If you're a rap fan, you can set them to the tune of that. If you're a country fan, you can sing these with some twang. Do whatever you want, but we're just going to be looking at the lyrics and the thought process behind this. Why? Because music it moves people. Music moves people. Here's what we said about Playlist. Whether it's your first kiss or your final hug, there's a song that comes to mind. Whether it's the joy of birth or sorrow of death, whether it's the celebration of the promotion or the uncertainty of what's next with the news of the layoff, there's a song that comes to mind. Music is there in our best times and our worst. It's a part of our celebrations and our therapy. And we're going to be investigating that as we investigate Psalms over the course of these next few weeks. And so I decided where better to start this morning than 
the start of Psalms. Psalm 1. So if you have your phones or your tablets, we'd invite you to follow along with us in the Bible app, which is a free download, and we'd encourage you to utilize that. You can follow along with us. There's an event feature within that app, and you can either enable your locations or type in the zip code 54201. 54201 Lakeside Community Church will pop up, and there you can follow along with us as we start playlist today with Psalm number one. And we begin this morning in Psalm one, verse one, where we read these lyrics. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. When he, when he writes blessed, he also means fulfilled. What we're going to see this morning is we're going to see the path to a fulfilled life. We're going to see the path to a fulfilled life. It's revealed to us in this song, and we are given the wisdom through this song of what we need to do in order to live a fulfilled life. And it gets us started with this idea of who we choose to be close to us really matters. Who we choose to be close to us really matters. And this is something that every parent tells their kids at some point. It's it's something that we're trying to beat into our, our kids' heads over and over and over again, that who your friends are will oftentimes determine the outcome of your life. Who your friends are will oftentimes determine the outcome of your life. And here's why this is so important, because we're given three different examples. Fulfilled is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Fulfilled is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Now notice, this is the most active, this is the most active verb that we're given here in this verse. Walk is the most active function that we are given. And wicked are the most devious. These are the people there is nothing good to say about them. Maybe your mom or your grandma told you, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. And these are the people you just don't talk about because they're just that bad. Or these are the people that you do talk about because you didn't listen to your mom and your grandma all the time. And you're like, these people are bad news. They're the people that your parents warn you about. And there's just a feeling that you get when you look at them because as you look at their life, Everything you see is geared towards the wicked. They're not even trying to do what's right. They don't even care. They are on a course, and their course is wicked, and it's obvious for everybody to see. These are the ones that your parents have warned you about. Just don't associate with these people. These are the wicked. And the first step, the first step to living a fulfilled life is not actively walking with the wicked. It's making a choice of who's in your inner circle and saying, I can just see that these people are bad news. They just make horrible decisions, and everybody who knows them knows that they make horrible decisions, and so I choose not to associate with these people. But they're the easiest group. They're the easiest group not to associate with, because oftentimes when you look at your, their life, not only is it obvious that they make horrible decisions, but their lives normally are a dumpster fire. You just look at it and it's like, that's not that hard to stay away from because I can see where this is going to end and it doesn't end pretty and I just don't want a part of that. But then it gets a little more difficult because what's the next class of people? Nor stands in the way of sinners. So we've gone from actively walking to now somebody who's more neutral. 
Somebody who's just more neutral and who just stands, who just stands in the way of sinners. And we've moved from the wicked, those who there's nothing good to say about them because there's nothing good that they can do, into those who make some good choices and who are generally all right people, but just make some really bad decisions along the way. And the danger is because they've got some good qualities about them and because they have some good traits as well, that you can see, yeah, they make some bad decisions, but you kind of want to give them the benefit of the doubt. And so you just stand there in a neutral position and you you just kind of allow the process to play out. And that's why this group's even more dangerous. It's even more dangerous because they're not easy to see from the outset that everything this person touches is a disaster. In fact, they have a lot of redeeming qualities, but when you look at them, there's still something within your spirit that says, this person makes some really bad choices and some really bad decisions. And the challenge is for us to be on guard even with those people, and yet we take it even one step further, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And this is completely passive. This is completely being passive and being surrounded by those who are scoffing and those who have a negative outlook on everything and those who just want to criticize everything, not take anything too seriously. And the challenge there is don't sit with them because sometimes we all love a good dose of pessimism. Sometimes we, all, sometimes we all love just what they have to say because it's accurate and it's funny, but they're jaded. And he says there's danger when you let your guard down and you sit among the scoffers. You sit among the jaded. If you want to live a fulfilled life, be very careful about who you allow in your inner circle. If you want to live a fulfilled life, be very careful about who you allow in your inner circle. Be friendly to all, but friends to few. Be friendly to all, but friends to few. And make sure that in your inner circle, the people that you are sharing life with, the people that you are being honest to a fault with, the people that you are being transparent with, make sure that in that circle of the people who speak into your life the most and whose life you speak into the most are not the wicked, are not those who make some really good decisions, but who really have some lapse in judgment as well. And you, so you allow your guard to go down or those who just jaded and pessimistic and just scoff at everything. And again, the danger here is primarily in these latter groups. Because we can all see the wicked and we can all see where that ends. And that's easy at, at the start to just stay away from. But make sure you choose wisely who your friends are and who's in your inner circle if you want to live a fulfilled life. And now we're given the contrast. To live the fulfilled life, you don't walk with the wicked. You don't stand with sinners. You don't sit with scoffers. But verse 2 tells us this. But his delight, for those that want to live a fulfilled life, is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Instead of allowing all those people to be in your inner circle, 
Instead of running with the wicked, instead of standing with sinners, instead of sitting with scoffers, instead the key to living a fulfilled life is delighting in God. Is finding delight in God. And this forces us to ask a question that we have to wrestle in our soul with a little bit. And that question is this, do we delight do we delight in God? Do we really delight in following God? Is following God delightful for you? Or is this something you're doing out of a sense of duty? Out of a sense of obligation? Maybe you've convinced yourself that following God is this, this duty and this obligation. And that God has this vast spreadsheet in heaven where he's tracking all of your attendance at church and all of your attendance in small groups and all the ways that you've served. Is that why you're doing it? And don't misunderstand me. I'm I'm not saying nobody show up at church next week. Please hear me, hear me. But what I am saying is if this is a form of duty for you, if following God is something that you are doing, trying to earn God's favor, there's no way you can earn God's favor because God's standard is one of perfection. And God loves us even though we are imperfect. God loves us even though we have no way of measuring up. God loves us even though we have nothing to offer Him. He loves us anyway. And that is the mindset that we must have. That we serve God and we follow God. Not out of obligation, but we serve God and we follow God out of opportunity. That we have the opportunity to follow a God who loves us. We have the opportunity to serve a God who saved us. It's not that we do this out of duty or a sense of obligation, but instead we do this because we have the opportunity as people who've experienced the love and the goodness and the grace of God. We have the opportunity to follow after Him. And that must be what drives us, not a sense of duty, because if it is a sense of duty and obligation, we will not delight in our relationship with God, and God desires us to delight in Him. Is following God delightful for you? And maybe that Maybe that goes back years, and there are years of baggage that you have to look at where you've been told if you don't go to church, it's sin. If you don't do this, if you don't do that, God doesn't love you. And the message of Jesus and the message of the cross is that there is nothing you can do to earn God's love. There is nothing you can do to earn God's favor, but God gives it to us freely. And so our response must be that of opportunity and not obligation. And then, after we come to a place where we delight in God, the question then is, do we love engaging with the heart of God? Do we love engaging with the heart of God? And this is why we we mention it often, but God's revealed His heart to us in Scripture. And this is why it is so imperative that you are engaging with Scripture. And if you're not, I just want to encourage I just want to encourage you and challenge you again. The best way to get in tune with the heart of God, the best way to discover the heart of God is to see how God has revealed his heart to us and that's available to us in scripture. And so if you're not doing anything right now, you've got to start something. Make it a verse of the day. Maybe you're not into technology. We'd love to give you a Bible, a paper Bible that you can take 
It's, it's our gift to you. You don't have to buy it. If you don't have one and you want one, it's our gift to you. Those are available all the time. So if it's not today, if it's some other time that you want one, just ask for it. We always have them available, and it's our gift to you. If you utilize technology, we encourage you to utilize the Bible app. It can send you notifications. If, if you aren't starting this practice, just put it in to get a notification, and then it sends it to you. So literally all you have to do is look at your screen and read it. Maybe you aren't somebody who likes to read all that much. Maybe reading's a challenge for you. Within the Bible app, there are a number of different translations available, and it will read them to you. So you can just have your phone read scripture to you. You can put it on the Bluetooth in your car or plug it in and have it read to you while you go somewhere else. But I'm just encouraging you and challenging you. Be engaged with scripture. Be engaged learning and understanding the heart of God. Why? Because we're told what it takes to live a fulfilled life. And living a fulfilled life is being wise in whom we surround ourselves with in our inner circle, and living a fulfilled life is found after we delight in God and focus on the heart of God. And what are the results for somebody who does that, for somebody who's wise about who's around them in their inner circle, and somebody who delights in God and focuses their heart on Scripture? Well, verse 3 tells us that. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. And we talked last week that every follower of Jesus needs to be bearing fruit. Every follower of Jesus bears fruit. If you want to know if somebody's a follower of Jesus or not, look at the fruit of their life. Every follower of Jesus bears fruit fruit. And here we see that this life, this life of choosing wisely who we live with, this life of choosing wisely to find delight in God and and find joy in discovering the heart of God, this life sustains us. It sustains us. And that doesn't mean that we're never going to experience storms. It doesn't mean we're never going to experience the pruning that we talked about last week. Hard times are going to come. The storms of life are going to come. The worst that the world has to throw our way is going to come. But the worst is not going to win. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. We will be blessed because of the choices that we've made and because of what we've done. This is the life that God has for us. This is what God wants for us, that we would live lives of fulfillment. But this isn't for everyone. And here's what we're told in verse 4. The wicked... The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. The wicked don't lead lives of fulfillment. The wicked, it's a different story. They are not so. They are not rooted. In fact, what we're told is that their lives are insignificant. As we look in a culture that's desperate for significance, I can't think of anything more devastating 
for a culture that is so prone to desire significance than to understand that the path for many is ultimately one of insignificance. And we could look at it and we could say, well, how is that so? When we would say that so many of these wicked people have done so much that's significant. And here we must remind ourselves that our outlook and God's outlook are very different. That our outlook so oftentimes is focused on the here and now. It's focused on the temporal. But God's outlook is focused on the eternal. And this picture, like chaff that the wind drives away, it's the leftover wheat when harvest has come. The leftover wheat after it's been harvested that would just blow away. And what was once a majestic field is just chopped down into nothing after the harvest has come. Or maybe you're not familiar with wheat, so think about corn. When you go and you buy corn in the store and it's in its husk, you take it home and you remove the husk. In order to get to the corn and you throw it away. And what we're told is that contrary to what our culture would tell us, that the lives and the existence of the wicked is ultimately insignificant. That it doesn't last. That it doesn't stand the test of time. And the reason for that is because they aren't tied into their Creator. They aren't tied into their creator. So what will happen? Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Now, if you're reading this and you're making the choice just to actively do whatever you want and not listen to God's standards and live your life however you want, and you may even describe yourself as wicked, certainly everybody else who looks at your life would describe you in that category, you might be like, well, this is my new favorite Bible verse. This sounds great. The wicked will not stand in judgment. I can do whatever I want. It doesn't matter. And you'd be incredibly mistaken. Because what the song is getting after that you will not stand in judgment. You will face judgment, but you, when you are faced before a God who is too incredible for us to fully describe, when you are faced with a God who created you and who created everything, and we see today just a shell at what God has created in this world around us, and it still blows our minds with wonder and majesty and beauty in ways we cannot fully describe. And you one day will stand before that same God who made you and who made everything in this world, and you will have to give an account to God and God's standard is perfection and you don't measure up. The reason you will not stand in judgment is because you will not be able to stand. And you will have no response. And the hope for us who follow Jesus is that we have standing and the way that we have standing is not what we've done as we talked about earlier. It's not that we've done enough good things. It's not that we've had enough good thoughts. It's not that we went to church enough. It's not any of those things. The standing that we have before God is that Jesus is our standing and Jesus was our standing and Jesus took our penalty. Jesus paid our price. Jesus died on the cross for all of my mistakes and all of my shortcomings and all of my sins and he died for all of your mistakes and all 
of your shortcomings and all of your sins upon the cross. And then Jesus welcomes us into his sacrifice so that one day when we stand before God and we will, as we all will, and God says my standard is perfection, we can stand because Jesus is and was our perfection. And that is our hope. But the wicked... They don't have that hope. And they will not be blessed because of it. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked will perish. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Their destiny is destruction. Their destiny is destruction. But the life, the life of the fulfilled, the life of the fulfilled is something entirely different. And so picture it. You're in the stadium. You've just won. And you start to hear it played. And it's crazy. And it's ridiculous. And as you listen closely, the lyrics are even more ridiculous than you remember. And there's the guy in front of you. It's 12 degrees. He doesn't care. He's a couple beers in and his shirt is off. And now it's starting to go over his head like the helicopter. And as the song starts pounding through the stadium speakers, you start screaming at the top of your lungs with reckless resolve for the Zoom meeting that you have tomorrow. You don't even care at this point. Maybe it's because you're also a couple beers in. Maybe it's just because you're so excited about what's just happened. And as Queen plays, we will rock you. You're just screaming it too. And then you launch from that into We Are the Champions. And it's the championship medley that makes no sense but you're caught up in the moment and you're so excited about it because you are tasting victory. It's amazing. And as I've shared with you all, I am a long-suffering Browns fan, and so this has evaded me for most of my life. I've seen this emotion on television, but I've never felt it. I've never experienced it. And so I've always had to be the guy that has the outlook that unless you win the Super Bowl, unless you win the Super Bowl, your team may be better. I shouldn't say may. I'm a Browns fan. If, if, you, if your team wasn't the Browns, your team was better than the Browns. But if you didn't win the Super Bowl at the end of the season, all you got was a worse draft pick because you didn't win. And yet, here's the reality. That even if you win the championship, Next year's coming. I mean, good luck, Tampa Bay. Tom Brady's 67 next year. Next year's coming, so you better enjoy it now. I hope you enjoyed your little drunken boat parade. Next year's coming. And even if you somehow repeat next year, there's a season after that. My, how we've seen this in every area of life. Just look at your favorite athlete. Why is it that so many who've achieved the fame, the notoriety, the rings, eventually make it to Canton, Ohio, 20 minutes from where I grew up? 
celebrating all their on-field achievements, but their lives are a mess. Because the secret is there is no fulfillment in championship. Why is it so many of the great inventors of our time continually try to reinvent themselves, are unable to ever achieve something of joy and satisfaction? Because fulfillment eludes them. Why is it that the richest amongst us who have everything that you seemingly would think our hearts would desire are some of the most miserable people that we'll ever be encountered? Because money doesn't buy fulfillment. And we're given the recipe right here for how to live fulfilled lives. And it starts by being wise about what we do and who we surround ourselves with. That we will not walk with the wicked. That we will not stand with the sinners. And we will not sit with the scoffers. That we will be friendly to all but friends to few, and being incredibly wise about who we allow in our inner circle, knowing that the people we surround ourselves with will determine the outcome of our lives. That we will delight in Jesus, and we will delight in what God has done for us, And that we understand that that means that God's got us. And there are going to be seasons of storms. And there's going to be pruning that happens. And there are going to be hard times. But we have hope. And as a result, we can live with hope. Knowing that we because of Jesus, have the favor of God in our lives. And we can live victoriously and fulfilled lives as a result of what God has done for us and on our behalf. God, I pray that we would be wise. I pray that we'd be wise about who's in our lives. that we would choose not to walk with the wicked, that we would choose not to stand with sinners, that we would choose not to sit with scoffers, but that we would put people in our lives who would encourage us and support us and challenge us and push us. People that would fill us pray, God, that we would delight in you. I 
pray that we wouldn't feel like there's some way that we could earn our salvation. I pray that we wouldn't feel like we have to do this and this and this and this and this in order to earn your favor, but we would just recognize the fact that there's nothing we can do. But your love for us means that while we had nothing to offer you, you loved us anyway. And I pray, God, with that knowledge, we would remember you've got us when the storms come and in the seasons of pruning. There's nothing to fear. And with a different outlook, we would live reminded daily of the fact that we are victorious, not in and of ourselves, but because Jesus is victorious and invites us into that victory, invites us into relationship with our Creator, invites us to leave behind our mistakes, invites us to experience forgiveness and love and grace and acceptance. And God, I pray that we would live with that theme. And I pray that as we sing these songs, we would sing with those themes. And I pray, God, that our lives would be changed and we would live with fulfillment that evades so many. Help us, Jesus, we pray in your name.